Let's pray together. Father, we have nothing to boast of. No pride of intellect, no pride of looks, no pride of power, possessions. It is all from you. And God, I would just ask that you would purge us from pride. And Lord, that you would just so completely fine-tune this message for every single person that is here, that you would speak truth into their soul. And Lord, I pray that you would guide me. I pray, Father, that I might just be an instrument of you. And Lord, that you'd empty me of me and fill me with you. And I just pray for your favor, your blessing, the freedom and the liberty just to preach your holy, beautiful word. And God, make a difference in the lives that have gathered here for your glory and for those who need still to come to know you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. It was late one summer evening in Broken Bow, Nebraska. Very tired truck driver. He pulled his rig into an all-night truck stop. He was weary and very hungry. The waitress had just served him when three tough-looking, leather-jacketed motorcycle guys, Hell's Angels type, decided to give him a hard time. Not only did they verbally abuse the poor guy, but they grabbed his hamburger off of his plate, another took a handful of french fries, and the third picked up his coffee and began to drink it. The trucker didn't respond as one might expect. He calmly rose, picked up his check, walked across the front of the room, and put the check and his money on the cash register, and then went out the door. The waitress followed him, stood watching at the door as the truck drove away into the night. When she returned, one of the tough guys said to her, well, he's not much of a man, is he? To which she responded, I don't know about that, but he sure isn't much of a truck driver. He just ran over three motorcycles on his way out of the parking lot. (laughs) You got to love it when people get what's coming to them, don't you? Oh, man, that's right. Take that, tough guys. Paybacks are great, especially when it comes to people like that. Some people, though, they live by the motto, I don't get mad, I get what? I get even, or do unto others before they can do unto you. Well, you won't find those mottos in Scripture, and Jesus didn't teach them. He certainly didn't live them. But you may say, well, how do we handle those tough guys in life? How do we handle the jerks in life? How do we handle those people that get under our skin? Jesus had some things to say. As we continue in our series, Jesus said, what? And if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 is the Sermon on the Mount. If you don't, that's fine. Just listen in or you can look over your neighbor's shoulder. But how do we handle these jerks of life? And you may say, well, pastor, I don't like that name jerk from the pulpit. Okay, well, listen. Jerk is a dictionary definition is a contemptibly obnoxious person, okay? So we'll use that at times too. How do you handle the contemptibly obnoxious or jerk person, okay? Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching the multitudes. He's teaching also the religious leaders. He's teaching all of these people what it is to live a righteous life. Because a lot of these people only want to live a religious life. And he wants you to know it's not about being religious from time to time. It's learning what it really means to be righteous. Follow along as I read Matthew chapter 5 starting in verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. 
Give to him who asks you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. So how do you handle these people? Jesus says, number one, refuse personal retaliation. Say that with me. Refuse personal retaliation. But that's the very first thing we want to do. We want to get back at that person. And it's the last thing he says we should ever do. He starts verse 38 and he says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You say, well, where did I hear that? The Bible It's in the Old Testament. It's in the Old Testament law, Exodus 21. There's any further injury, then you shall appoint his penalty. Life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. It's repeated in Leviticus 24. If a man injures his neighbor just as he has done, so it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, just as he has injured a man, so it shall be inflicted to him. Now, I want you to understand, you say, that sounds horrible. No, 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 listen. This law was not bad. It was actually beneficial. Why? It was a very just law. He's not talking about when accidents happen. He's talking vicious attacks against an innocent person. This was a just law that assured punishment always fit the crime. So it was a just law. It was also a very limiting law. It protected punishment from ever exceeding the crime. It would curb a cruel overreaction of retaliation and going beyond what was done to that person. So it's a just law, and it was a limiting law, and it was a very effective law. The punishment curtailed future crime. People realized they would be held responsible for any attack they made to somebody. And so it held back sin is what it did. Now, I need to tell you there's a very important distinctive. This has nothing to do with personal retaliation. This was all about civil law. This was not you and I taking the law into our own hands and doing something against them. See, that was the problem. Civil justice had become perverted by personal vengeance, and individuals were becoming a law unto themselves. And I am my own judge, jury, and executioner. If they do that to me, I'm doing this to them. And Jesus said, time out. That's not what this is about at all. Verse 39, he says, I say to you, with commanding Divine authority, the Son of the living God, equates what he is about to say with Scripture. And he boldly proclaims, what I say is more important than what anybody else says, so listen up. He says, I trump Moses in his teachings, and I trump any of the cultural norms of your day that they say you should do this and it's okay. No, 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 you listen to me, Jesus says. I trump the religious leaders and their false interpretations and any and all personal preferences and your friends or your parents telling you it's okay to do that. And in all the most popular self-help books, Jesus says, forget it. He says, I want you to listen to me because I am the divine authority and I am going to tell you what is right and I am going to tell you what is wrong. And so listen to the Lord. He says, do not resist an evil person. Now, I want to clarify something. This does not mean you can never stand against evil. That's not what this means, okay? It's not this pacifistic thing that you can't stand up against evil. As a matter of fact, Jesus in Matthew 21 enters the temple and he drives out those who are buying and selling and overturns their tables. And in John chapter 2, he makes a whip a scourge of cords, and drives them out of the temple. So obviously Jesus is not saying you can't stand against evil. As a matter of fact, he'll confront the religious leaders and with seven woes in their face in Matthew 23, and and he'll call them fools and blind and whitewashed tombs and serpents and brood of vipers. So we can take a stand against evil. But he's saying don't resist in the sense of personal retaliation. 
Don't take personal vengeance on somebody. Proverbs 24, 29. Do not say, thus I shall do to him as he's done to me. I will render the man according to his work. 1 Thessalonians 5, 15. See that no one repays another with evil for evil. So you may say, well, what am I supposed to do? I've been wronged by this guy, and they did this to me, and I just, boy, I just want to. What am I supposed to do? You're supposed to do what Jesus did. Well, what's that? 1 Peter 2.21, he gives us an example. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. Leaving you what? An example for you to follow in his steps. And by the way, Jesus, who committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth, while being reviled, verbally abused, did not revile in return. While suffering, that's physically, he uttered no threats, but kept what? Entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. He says, God the Father is in charge. And you can trust that person into the hands of God the Father, and you can trust that situation into the hands of the Father. Don't take it into your own hands. Trust it into the Heavenly Father's hands. By the way, we have a command in Scripture in Romans 12, 19. Never take your own revenge. How often can we take it? Never. Behold, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So God gives you a promise. He says, I'll take care of them. You just got to trust me to do it. And I will do it in my way, and I will do it in my time. And he will do it perfectly. You and I will do it imperfectly. Let the Lord take care of that person. Now he's going to give some personal examples of refusing to retaliate. And he gives us four of them. The first is in verse 39. Whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. He's talking about personal insult. I mean, when you're personally insulted, it's very humiliating. It's very demeaning is what it is. Someone slaps you across the face, so to speak. Um, You just want to slap them back. And he says, that's not the answer. You know, when when our pride is bruised, um, he says you need to stay calm. He says, when you're personally insulted, you need to stay controlled. And some of you have been insulted recently. Someone said something to you. Someone did something to you. And just inside, you're just... Oh, it's driving you crazy. And you just want to slap them back. And, and you're scheming, and now you're starting to think, and you're pondering how you can get back at them. And God is saying, give them over to me. No more scheming, no more pondering, no more staying up at night, seething over how much you hate that person. Give them over to me and free yourself from that hatred. Now, Jesus practiced what he preached. In John 18, he's before the high priest, And he's questioned, and in verse 22, one of the officers standing nearby strikes Jesus. This just drives me crazy. This is the Son of the living God, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who one day is coming to rule and reign, and some foul, wicked, depraved human hits Jesus. Now, Jesus has all the authority. He can cast demons out of men. He can certainly cast this guy right into the pits of hell. But does he do it? No, he doesn't. He just answers back is what he does. So Jesus, with this position of the Son of God, is disrespected, and Jesus, with this title of the King of Kings, is struck and scorned. I want to tell you something. When you have a position of authority and it is disrespected, stay calm. When you have a title of significance and it's scorned, 
Be controlled. Leave it in God's hands. Don't resist. Don't resist when you're personally insulted. Don't resist when you're found or assumed guilty. Look at verse 40. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Now, I need to talk about clothing in ancient Israel here for just a second. People had a shirt or a tunic. It was an undergarment, and people had more than one. People also had a coat or a cloak that was the outer garment. So they had an undergarment, long sleeve is what they had, a few of them. They also had an outer garment. They only had one of those, okay? So this is what he's saying. Jewish law, Jewish law would say if a person has no money, they can pay up in clothing. Never their outer cloak, only their undergarments, only their shirts, so to speak, okay? But Jewish law also said you can't take the outer garment ever. Why? Exodus 22 gives us an insight into this. If you ever take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, you are to return it to him before the sun sets. Why? For it's his only covering. His cloak is for his body. See, the cloak was also like a blanket at night. It was an overgarment as well as a blanket to keep you warm. And so the Lord in his word said, they can sue you and take your shirt, but never this. So you may say, well, why would Jesus say, let him have the coat also? Because this is what he's saying. The court can demand the undergarment, but you could voluntarily give more than what was required. Why? Why would he say this? Listen, if you are found guilty, make it right and then some. That's what the Lord's saying. Show sincere regret and a godly attitude. You did something wrong. You were found guilty. Stop trying to get out of it. We live in a world with everybody trying to get out of things. They want to get out of their debts, and they want to get out of their fines, and they want to get out of their payments. Listen, you are guilty. You need to pay up. And if you're a Christian, even more so. He's saying your testimony is on the line. Your character is on the line. Don't be trying to squeeze out of something and get away with something. He says go over and above and be a godly character and testimony for the Lord. And by the way, when it comes to lawsuits, God's word is very, very clear. A Christian should never sue another Christian. Ever. 1 Corinthians 6, 1. Does any of you, when he has a case against his brother, dare to go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? He says, go before brothers and sisters in Christ before you sue somebody and ask some Christians to sit down with you and help you work through the situation. Are you not, uh, uh, are you not competent to constitute the smallest law courts? So if you have law courts dealing with matters of this life, do, not, do you appoint them as judges who are of no account to the church? So two believers go before unbelievers who don't understand Christians. He's saying believers sit together with other believers. Are there not among you one wise man who will be able to decide between brethren? Brother goes to law with brother and before unbelievers. Actually then, verse 7, it's already a defeat for you that you have lawsuits with one another. Why not rather be wronged? He says it's better to be wronged. Why not rather be defrauded? On the contrary, you yourselves wrong and defraud. You do this even to your brethren. This is what he's saying. You got a Christian, you got a Christian. They're at each other over a business matter. They want to sue each other. Call for the leaders of the church. Have a private meeting and say, we're having a real difficult time working through this. Will you guys help us walk through this and we will agree to whatever you agree to do or whatever you agree we should do. That is the right, good godly thing to do. That's what he says you should handle it instead of going into the court systems. Verse 41, don't resist when you lose your liberty. Now he says, whoever forces you to go one mile, go with them what? Two. We say, well, what is this all about? 
Roman law. Israel was occupied by the Roman forces. Roman law could force a civilian to carry the Roman soldier's equipment for a mile. The mile was a little less than our mile. Well, this was the most humiliating thing a Jew could do. No Jew in his right mind wants to help out a Roman soldier. And so what does Jesus say? Give up your liberty so that you can be a testimony. That's what he's saying. Give up your your, your liberties. Give up your rights. We Americans are always demanding our rights. We have rights. We have privileges. We, we, and we complain and we whine if we don't get our rights and if we don't have our privileges. And you know what God is saying? Stop your whining about your personal rights and give them up. Lose your liberties at times for the Lord and His glory and be a testimony for Jesus Christ. In other words, do the maximum instead of the minimum. Do more, not less. Go further, not less. You know what he's saying here? He's saying take advantage of every unfair situation for the glory of God. So someone has treated you unfairly? Stop whining and gossiping about it and say, okay, God, you've allowed this to happen. How can I turn this to your glory? What can I do for your glory to show people I'm not like the world? He's saying, so use every unfair situation for the glory of God and stop reacting selfishly and start responding spiritually. That would do us a lot of good. To stop reacting selfishly and start responding spiritually. So don't resist when insulted personally and don't resist when found guilty and don't resist when you lose liberty. And then verse 42, don't resist when you're asked for property. Give to him who asks you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. See, some of us are instant knowers. Can I have, no. Can I have that? No. Can I borrow? No. It's like your, your kids come to you. You have one word vocabulary. No, 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 no. He's saying we're so good at the word no. And we forfeit so much joy. Acts twenty thirty five. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said. Say it with me. It is more blessed to give than to receive. That's why some of us here don't have any joy. Because we're so good at no. And if we finally learn to give to people, it's more blessed to give than to receive. We also miss out on God's generous repayment when we don't give. Proverbs nineteen seventeen: One who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord, and he will repay him. That's the Lord will repay him for his good deed. So God says when you help out somebody who's poor and you lend to them, it's like lending to me, God says. And by the way, I'll take care of you. He says, you just wait and you just watch. Now, understand, we're not required to respond to every foolish and selfish request. That would be bad stewardship. Use your brain, okay? And we'd be doing them a disservice. But be very careful not to ignore people and not to put them off and not to refuse to help. Be willing and be generous instead of stingy and possessive. So you got a brother and sister in your your home. They want to borrow your shirt or your dress or your shoes. Let them. It's just stuff. You got a neighbor who wants to borrow some tools. Let them. It's just stuff. You got a family member who wants to borrow the car or some money. Let them. It's just stuff. You got a coworker who wants to borrow a book or something. Let them. It's just stuff. Remember, we are stewards of everything, owners of what? Nothing. It's all God's. We are just managers of what is God's. And so the owner is saying to us stewards, us managers, ahem. <clears throat> It's mine. Get your hands off it. Let somebody use it. 
Let somebody have it. Let somebody borrow it. We have the wrong idea. We think it's ours. God says, no, it's mine. And now be a good manager and take your hands off it. So how do you handle these contemptibly obnoxious people or jerks of life? Number one is refuse personal retaliation. Secondly, practice heartfelt love and prayer. You got to be kidding me. I got to pray for that person? Oh my goodness, I got to love that person? Ain't no way, Pastor Scott. Well, let's see what the Lord says in verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor. Okay, I got that. And hate your enemy. Okay, I got that. But I say to you, love your enemies. Wait a minute. And pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, first thing I want you to notice is don't mess with Scripture. These people were messing with Scripture. What do you mean by that? You shall love your neighbor. Okay, well, that's in Scripture, right? That's in there. Yeah, Leviticus 19, 18. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus would go on and say, that's the second greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor, okay, and then he says, and, and you have heard you shall hate your enemy. Uh, wait a minute, that's not in Scripture. See, now they're adding to the Word of God, now they're ignoring the Word of God. Isn't that just like us? There are certain things in the Bible we have no problem with, there are certain things we don't like that are in the Bible, and so we ignore them. We, we don't even want to talk about them, we don't want to see that verse, we, we'd, we'd rather focus on the ones that we're doing okay on. Leviticus 19.17 says, you shall not hate your fellow countrymen or, or reprove, you know, you may surely reprove your neighbor. I want you to understand, they were distinguishing between who their neighbor was, thus excusing their feelings and their sin. And Jesus would later clarify who our neighbor was with the Good Samaritan, would he not? And he would say, anybody and everybody that you come across in any kind of need is your neighbor, no matter their color, no matter their nationality, no matter their language, no matter whatever, their religion, they're your neighbor. Now, we, we have this thing that we assume it's okay to hate some people. We do. We, we excuse our hate. It's understandable in some situations. I can hate that person. And it's justifiable after what they did and expected for, for that kind of action. And so we hold grudges and, 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 and we internalize bitterness and we refuse forgiveness. And we're certainly not going to do them any favors and we're not going to go out of our way for them. And we grow cold and we grow calloused in our hearts. I want you to understand, some of us this morning are shackled. We're chained with hatred and bitterness and anger. I want you to understand that. And God is saying, if you would learn to love, it's the key that will let you go. And until you learn to love that person, and not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what? With good. That's what Scripture tells us. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I want you to understand, you are shackled, and until you begin to do good and to love that person, you're going to stay shackled. And your heart is full of anger, and full of bitterness, and full of resentment, and you're shackled. And there's only one way you can be loosed. And that's by loving them and doing good to them. So don't let evil overcome you anymore. You've allowed it to overcome you. Start overcoming evil by doing good, by loving that person who may not even love you. Now, 
Love your neighbor is in the word of God. Hate your enemy is adding to the word of God. Love your enemy has been omitted from the word of God. They don't even talk about this one. Exodus 23, 4 through 5 gives us an example. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey wandering away, you shall surely return it to him. So you find something that belongs to that guy who's a jerk. And you get to keep it. No. You get to give it to somebody else. No. You take it back to them. He goes on, if you see his donkey, the one who hates you, lying helpless under its load, you shall not, you shall refrain from leaving it. He's broken down on the side of the road, and you wave. Ha! No, that's not what you do. You stop, you get out, you help change the tire, you get him back on his way. That's what he's talking about, loving your enemy. There's no double standards for God's children. We think it's okay to have a double standard. I treat some people this way, I treat other people this way. And God says, there is no double standard. You treat them all the same. This is what love looks like. Proverbs 25, if your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. Romans 17, 12, 17, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. How often can we do it? Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men, if possible, so far as it depends on you. Do everything possible in your power to be at peace with all men. Go out of your way. Pursue peace. Do everything you can. They may not want peace with you, but that's our responsibility to pursue peace with them. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him food to drink, or uh, give him a drink. In so doing, you'll heap burning coals on his head. In other words, your love just brings shame. That's all. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what? With good. So take the shackles off. Don't let evil overcome you. Overcome evil. Go do good to that person. Go love that person. That's what he's saying. And some of you don't want to hear that. Then you will stay in your shackle of hatred and bitterness and resentment because this is the only key that will let you go and that will free you. So choose to love and choose to do good. And not only that, choose to love and pray. I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So enough with ignoring and adding and omitting the word of God. And he says, I say to you, I'm the standard of truth is what he says. And he says, this is a command. Love your enemies and pray. And love is the Greek word agape. There's all kinds of Greek words for love. This is the word agape. It's the self-sacrificing love. John 3, 16. God so what? Love the world. That's agape love that he gave his only begotten son. Romans 5a. God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That love is the word agape. Agape love. 1 Corinthians 13. Well-known love passage. Love is patient, kind, gen- you know, all these things. Love does not brag. That's agape love. Patient, kind, Rejoices with truth, bears, believes, hopes, endures all things. And then he says agape love is not this. It's not jealous, bragging, arrogant, immature, selfish. It's not easily provoked to anger. It keeps no record of wrongs. Some of you have records of wrongs that person did to you. You have it written what they did and when they did it, and you've got commentary on it. He's saying, that's not agape love. Burn the list. Throw it out. Get rid of it. Love your enemies. There was a man, a godly Scottish reformer named George Wishart. He was sentenced to die as a heretic for his Christian faith. 
Because the executioner knew of Wishart's selfless ministering to hundreds of people who were dying of the plague, he hesitated carrying out the sentence. When Wishart saw the expression of remorse on his executioner's face, this is what he did. He went over, he kissed the man on the cheek and said, Sir, may that be a token that I forgive you. Incredible love. I want to encourage you to love that ex-spouse who is trying to make your life miserable. I want to encourage you to love that boss who recently fired you. That family member who stole from you. That classmate that made fun of you. That one-time friend who has betrayed you. That neighbor that has been gossiping about you. And that coworker that has lied to you. Love your enemies as God calls you to love them. And not only that, start praying for them. He says, pray for those who persecute you. And you may say, okay, I can do this. I can pray for that person. God, kill them. That's not the kind of prayer, okay? That's not the kind of prayer the Lord is talking about here. Understand that. You may say, well, they don't deserve my prayers. Pray anyway. They don't even want my prayers. Pray anyway. Make the effort. Take the time. Be sincere and pray. Now, I want you to understand something. This is so important to pray for your enemies because when you pray for some people, it's hard to hate those people. It's really hard to hate people when you're in prayer for those people. And so what it does is it takes the edge off of us. And it changes our perspective on the situation as well as the person. And don't forget this. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers, dominions, spiritual forces. It's not about flesh and blood relationships and animosities. It's beyond that. It's spiritual warfare is what the Lord teaches And he's saying, I'm teaching you lessons. By the way, Charles Spurgeon said it this way, prayer is the forerunner of mercy. I like that. It's going to go before any mercy when you take the time to pray for people. So stop gossiping about that person who hurts you and telling everybody what they did to you. Stop gossiping and start praying for them. And, And stop complaining about how bad they were and all they did. Stop complaining and start praying for them. Start praying for them. Pray for your persecutors. What's that? That's the people that make it hardest for you to live your faith. They're your thorn in your spiritual side. They make fun of you living for God or going to church or reading your Bible or being baptized. And you may say, well, I I don't really face that persecution much. I have an interesting verse in 2 Timothy 3.12. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be what? persecuted. So, I just want to ask this. If you never find yourself being persecuted, maybe you're really not that godly. You have to ask that question, because the verse is very clear. If you're going to live a godly life, you will be persecuted. So, so maybe you're really not standing up for your faith that much, and maybe you're not really sharing the gospel with other people. Maybe it's not even noticeable that you're a Christian at your place of work. Maybe that's what you have to wrestle with this morning. What what happens when you love your enemies and you pray for those who persecute you? Look at verse 45. You become a son of the Father. That's who you look like. Now, it doesn't mean you you work for your salvation and this gets you into heaven, but it's proof of your salvation. It's evidence that you're a child of God. See, children look like their parents. At least some do. Some really look like their parents. If you take my wife and you take my mother-in-law, I'm, hello, you know, some people, you know, you, you start sounding like your parents. Every once in a while, I'll catch, catch myself saying something my dad says, and I'm like, whoa, that's weird. You know, or, or maybe your children, you know, you notice your children start acting like you. That's just plain scary, okay, when you catch them doing that, all right? Well, God's kids 
have God's characteristics is what he's talking about here. So the question is, do you have God's characteristics? Listen, hatred shows your connection with hell. Love shows your connection with heaven. So the question is, do you look more like you have a connection with hell or heaven? Hate or love? The world or God's child? That's the question. And, and God says, hey, by the way, I practice what I preach. I cause the sun to rise on the evil and the good. I send rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God says, I love my enemies. I, I, I grow their crops. I bless their businesses. I help them out. And these are the same people who curse and profane his name and deny and mock his very existence. They oppose his word at every turn and they shake their fists in the hand of God and blame him for every bad thing that ever happened to him. And God says, I still bless them. I still love my enemies. See, I think God has a long-term perspective. He, He looks down the path of eternity and he realizes those people aren't here for very long. And he chooses to be gracious to them. See, when we're hurt, we have this myopic view. Oh, everything is right here and right now, and the pain is so hard, and I just, and you can't get past it. And maybe what we need to do is start having a long view down the path of eternity and realizing heaven, the kingdom of God, ten thousands of years, you're not going to remember that person and what they did to you. And it's not going to make a bit of difference, and who cares? So he's saying, you know what? Be gracious to him. This life is very short. It's very, very short. So how do you handle these contemptibly obnoxious people, these jerks of life? You refuse personal retaliation, practice heartfelt love and prayer, and then lastly and quickly, you rise above and you aim for perfection. Rise above. Aim for perfection. Stop acting like the world. Start acting like God. Verse 46. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? There's nothing big about liking people who like you, loving people who love you. Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles, the people of the world, do that? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The world only loves those it likes. There's no reward in that, God says. It proves nothing and it distinguishes you from no one. Don't you want to be distinguished from the world as a child of God? He says, you're like the tax collectors. Now, that would have really bugged the religious leaders because they saw themselves better than everybody. And Jesus said, you're just like the most despised people in the land, the people stealing from everybody with Roman authority, pocketing money, profiting off the general population. He says, and you're just greeting people that you like to greet. You don't go out of your way to make anybody else feel welcome. It's like greeting time at church. We stand, we greet one another. Maybe there's somebody you avoid, though. Oh, I don't want to go greet them. You know what it's like. You, you go to the store. You're at the grocery store, and you see somebody down that aisle. So you duck down another aisle. Yeah, you've done that. I saw you. I was trying to find you. <laughs> or, or, or maybe it's at school. Maybe you're going down the hallway at school, and you see another student. You don't want to greet them, so you take a different way. You know, maybe it's on the street, and you cross over to the other side. You know, I go up to a lot of doors on visitation and canvassing and different things, and most of the time I'll see a, a, a welcome mat, and it says, welcome friends. Duh. Well, yeah, of course they're welcome. I have yet to go up to a door and see this one. Welcome enemies. <laughs> that would be biblical. That would be what God is teaching right now. It's time to be different from the world. It's time to stop acting like the world. 
And then verse 48, therefore you're to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. God is perfect. He says, you know what, why don't you aim a little bit higher than acting like the world? Aim for how I want you to act. And perfect means mature. It means grown up. It means complete. It means full of the Spirit of God. And, and making God your standard and not the world. And you may say, well, that's impossible to do in my own strength and power. Exactly. But God can enable you. Like how John MacArthur said it, that which God demands, he provides the power to accomplish. So let God use you in these areas. How do you handle the contemptibly obnoxious people or the jerks of life? Let's say it together. Number one, refuse personal retaliation. Practice heartfelt love and prayer and rise above and aim for perfection. Let's pray. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, just talk to the Lord right now in prayer. Who is that person that instantly comes to your mind that you really don't like? I want you to pray for them right now. I want you to pray for that coworker. I want you to pray for that neighbor. I want you to pray for that relative. Because that's what God asks you to do. Let him begin to loosen the chains of your bitterness and your hatred and your anger. Take those shackles off. Don't be overcome by evil. Overcome evil with good. Pray for them right now. Ask God to help you in this area. To shine for his glory when you have been hurt. To go to the next level. You may be here this morning and you've never come to faith in Jesus Christ. You've been a religious person. You go to church once in a while. But it's not about being religious. It's about God changing you and saving you from your sins. And you may be here today and you may say, Scott, that's me. I need God in my life. I want him to change me. I need forgiveness for all my sin. I need to swallow my pride. What do I do? In the quietness of your heart, I would just encourage you to call out to the Lord right now. Just call out to him in prayer. Just say words like these. Lord Jesus, I am a wicked sinner but you are such a gracious God. Please forgive me of all my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for loving me that much. Lord, I place my faith in you to save me. I could never be good enough. I can't save myself. Please save me from my sin. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you've called out to the Lord this morning, we would love to talk to you about that decision for Christ. And uh, you can let a good Christian friend or family member know about that. Or when you came in, you were handed a bulletin. And if you just open your bulletin right now, there's a little perforated tear-off section. You can write your name on there and mark one of those boxes. Toss that in the offering plate as it goes by.